0: So for those of you who haven't been here, welcome. For those of you who have been a while, we've been going through a series, kind of Old Testament, vague characters that maybe you've read about, maybe you've heard their names before. Uh, People like Jael, people like uh, mighty men of God, as we read that that narrative. Judah and Tamar, we've looked at. Today I want to look at Judges chapter 4. You might remember we were here a couple of weeks ago. We're not going to look at jail, though. I'm going to look at a prophetess named Deborah, all right, a prophetess named Deborah. By the way, I don't know if you guys are well aware of it or not, but there's a lot of things that go on around here during the week. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. This guy right here, Jay, uh, is taking care of some video challenges we've had the last couple of weeks, so thank you, sir. Um, hopefully, we've got, we're on the downslope, right? Hopefully, we are, we are on the mend, so um, thank you. Um, We're talking about Deborah this morning, Deborah the prophetess. I don't know if you know about Deborah, uh, a judge. So we find ourselves in the book of Judges, and I want to read from a couple of verses in chapter 4, and then we'll jump into one of her songs in chapter 5. So if you'll read with me, I have the NRSV this morning. Here's what it says in chapter 4. The Israelites again, the Israelites again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hashareth-Hagoim. The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time Deborah, a prophetess, wife of the Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of uh, Binoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at the Mount of Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I'll draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. This is kind of an interesting text. Uh, especially in the Old Testament. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but in the Old Testament, specifically, but also in the New Testament, we have writers that write with a very patriarchal mindset. Does that make sense? The entirety of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, are written with a patriarchal mindset. What I mean by that is we're talking about very patriarchal societies. We're talking about Societies that are being led by men. And yet here, early in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, we have this prophetess, we have this leader, we have that example of a woman. And not just a woman like we've talked about with Judah and Tamar, or or you can think of others uh, throughout the scriptures as examples. But we're talking about not just a woman, but a leader that God uses to correct not just the men generals, but also the entire Israelite people group. Isn't that amazing? I think it's pretty amazing. You get pretty excited about that, don't you? I see your eyes light up when I talk about women leaders, right? That's kind of your personality. But I want you to notice that it says in chapter 4, look down again at verse um, 5 and 6, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah, I suppose she probably didn't name that tree herself, right? But she said under the palm of Deborah, named after her between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. Wow. Remember, a patriarchal society. I, I, can't, I can't maximize that enough. This is a woman leader among the Israelites early in the Old Testament who is called not only a prophetess but also a judge, people would come to her and they would tell them their sides of every argument and Deborah would make judgment based upon what she had heard. Well, she's a mediator, for sure, but more so she is a, a leader. I want you to think about leadership, especially in the world in which we live today. Uh, Leadership, I believe, is is waning. Where have all the good leaders gone? Now, please understand, I'm not talking about politics. I'm specifically talking about leaders among God's people. Do you know how many times that Paul tells us as he's giving us instructions about the church and church leadership? He speaks to us about elders, right? Right? He speaks to us about deacons, about servants. All in all, he speaks many times throughout two-thirds of the New Testament about church leadership. I was having a conversation with someone recently. We were talking about church leadership and specifically talking about elders and deacons. And this particular person happened to be from another tradition, another uh, denomination, and they asked how we we determine who our leaders are in the independent Christian church. And I said, well, the way we do it is that Every annual congregational meeting, we pass out a ballot, and there's names on a ballot. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you've been around the Independent Christian Church for any length of time at all, you know how we select our, our elders. Do you hear what I'm saying? you have a problem with that? you know how we select our elders? you know how we select our elders? Does anybody, does that raise a problem for anybody? Because we shouldn't be selecting our elders. Some of you are, like, concerned right now, right? I want you to think with me for a second. How were the elders, how were the leaders in Scripture selected? Not by the Israelites, but by by God. Christian knows. By God, right? Our role as the people of God Or the Israelites' role as the Israelites, the people of God, was to confirm what God had already decided. Does that make sense? Right? And so it's not a popularity contest. It should not be about a popularity contest. It should not be about, well, so-and-so has been around forever, so therefore he should be a leader. And all too often, that's exactly what it is. It becomes a popularity contest. Or this person, I really like this person, therefore they should be an elder. Or this person opened the door for Mrs. Smith this last Sunday, they should be a deacon. Does this make sense to anybody? You understand what I'm talking about? right? I'm going to ask you again, where have all the leaders gone? Where have the church leaders gone, especially in an age of skepticism? Now, let me flesh that last phrase out. In an age of skepticism, we are skeptical about leadership. We've been burned in the past, by political leaders, by leaders at our workplaces, by leaders throughout our life, wherever we happen to go, we we realize they've let us down. Therefore, we associate that all the way over to church leadership, and we think they may do the same thing, right? Because they're just men. Have you ever said that before? Have you ever thought that before? They're They're just men. But let me offer to you, if God has chosen them as elders, as bishops, as shepherds in the church... Maybe you should do what Scripture says. Amen? Some of you are convinced, and some of you maybe not. Do you know what Scripture says about leadership? You, you used a couple of phrases from Hebrews. You know, let, me, let me offer you my own. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now that let's hang out there for a second, right? Obey. How many of you like to obey? How many of you like to do your own thing? Come on now, you're honest, right? We all like to do our own thing, right? Even in the church, we all like to do our own thing. But you know what allowed Deborah the opportunity to lead the Israelites? She was anointed by God. She was chosen by God. And the Israelites recognized that she had some kind of wisdom, she had some kind of discernment, or there would never be a palm tree called the tree of Deborah. We would never go to Deborah and ask her to hear our concerns, hear our our bickering, and ask her to judge between this side or that side, right? We have to, and then we have to obey what she says. Those words right there, obey your leaders and submit to them, we determined a couple of weeks ago, did we not, that all Scripture is God-breathed? Isn't that what we said? If it's true that Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for correction, that includes Hebrews chapter 13. And so you can't just say, yeah, I agree with that, and nod your head like this and say, well, it sounds plausible, but I'm not really going to do it. You see, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, this is written to the church, the early church, and it's a church in turmoil. This is a time during the diaspora, the time of the scattering. And what's going to to cause the church to to come back to heal from within, right? To to allow God to be God? They need leaders, do they not? And so the writer says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Notice what it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's a big responsibility, isn't it, Mickey? Mickey? Mickey's an elder here. Mark's an elder here. Glenn's an elder here. You guys ever read that text? Do you, do you understand what that says? You are keeping watch over their souls. That's a big responsibility. Do, do you guys understand that they are keeping watch over your souls? One of the things that one of the things that amazes me especially in a in a small church. Um, You know, we don't live in an ideal world, right? Um, But when it comes to elders and when it comes to deacons, um, we should understand the difference between the two. Deacons, we should all be deacons. We should all be ministers. We should all be servants. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not talking about a title. I'm talking about the way you live your life. You should all be servants of Jesus Christ. Elders are anointed by God, are recognized by the people to do what God has called them to do. Keeping watch over your souls. Because one day they will give an account. Do you follow what I'm saying? And let me be honest with you for a second. This is where I really struggle. this has nothing to do with these guys, these three elders that we have. Um, It has to do with we don't live in an ideal world. Our elders' meetings should not be about who's mowing the grass. Our our elders' meetings should not be about... Do you follow what I'm saying? Our, Our elders' meetings should be about you guys, about the people, about God sharing vision, about God casting vision. They go to Deborah recognizing that God has anointed her with something, some kind of wisdom has discernment she tells them notice what it says about Barak. he says i will go up i will do what you say that i should do but you're going to go with me right right he obviously recognizes there's something about what god has done through deborah that to be victorious she's going to obey she's going to follow directions now, that's foreign in our world today, right? Especially for lo- those of us who are good libertarian Christian Texans. We like our independence, don't we? Shay and I were taking a trip um, the last couple of days, and we were running down the road, some farm-to-market road, out in the middle of East Texas somewhere. And this church was called Holy, Holy Independent Something Else. And I looked at her and I said, I wonder what that means, holy, independent. I'll bet you they're wrapping theirself in a flag every week. And they're probably reading from the King James. In other words, they've defined the gospel the way they want to define the gospel. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I said that to you because we were in a town of 4,000 people and there are over 30 churches in this town of 4,000 people. And I'm not going to tell you the denomination. You can guess. But it's church A, church B, church C. And they're all the same denomination. And I thought, why don't you just close the doors and all get together and have a... You know why? Because they haven't, they haven't followed the, the, what God says in His Word. Right? Somebody gets offended, right? Somebody takes their toys and they go home. Or somebody's skeptical because this guy is just a man like you and I, right? And I I don't mean that condescending. I'm saying that's the argument that we use. But if he's an elder, if he's a bishop, he's not just a man like you and I. He has greater responsibilities, right? So why wouldn't we do as they did with Deborah, a female, in a patriarchal society, who is anointed by God, who discerns what God wants to do through the Israelite people, why don't we obey like that? Why don't we submit to them? That's another dirty word in our society today. For they are keeping watch over your souls, they will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing, for that would be harmful to you. Do you hear the importance of leadership, I'm going to ask you one more time, where have all the good leaders gone? And I'm not talking about Hillcrest, I'm not, I'm not talking about these guys, because some of you have been called to leadership, right? I mean, you know who you are, and yet, because you've been burned, or because you don't want to associate with those guys, I can't tell you how many times in 20 years of ministry, uh, When we talk about words like obey and submit and things like that, people always give me this. Yeah, it sounds good. That's what it says. Yep, 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 yep. We walk out of the room. I'm not, I don't respect that guy. Do you know who he is? You understand what I'm saying? And that leads to this church A, church B, church C, church D. Do you hear what it says here in in Judges where it says Deborah said and Barak said, okay, Man, I'm all on board, but you're going to go with me. You're going to be the servant leader. You're you're going to be the one, and you need to know that God has anointed you for this very purpose, right? And did you hear what happens? God gives them victory, they become victorious, right? So, what about leadership? Um, We'll have a congregational meeting, and it'll come up in the spring. And my prayer is, my prayer every year is, church, listen, my prayer every year is that it's not a popularity contest. It should never be about a popularity contest. It should be about discerning who has God anointed for the role of bishop, elder, shepherd, ones who will be responsible for the souls of the people. Do You follow what I'm saying? My prayer has always been for the congregation, myself included. I'm not an elder. I'm not a a bishop. I'm not a shepherd here. But my prayer for me and everyone else of us, right, is to submit, is to obey, is to follow the leadership of local elders, as long as it's biblical, right? I'm not saying they're above everyone else, in a sense. But if they've been anointed by God, who can we... What can we do if God has anointed these people, right? We simply acknowledge that. That's what the Israelites are doing here. I want you to see something else about uh, Deborah. If you'll turn over to chapter 5, there's a song, and for the Israelites, songs are, are pretty important, especially when they worship. Um, look at chapter 5. And notice what it says. They have their victory. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the end of chapter 4. You can do that later this afternoon, but I want you to see what in my Bible has been subtitled The Song of Deborah, beginning in chapter 5. Everybody there? So Deborah and Barak, the son of Binoam, sang on that day, saying, When locks are long in Israel, when the people offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. I love what Marianne said earlier. This idea of worship—we talked about it last week. It's, it's worth. What do you give value to, right? If you're here as a, as a consumer, then you're here for the wrong reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're here to get something, if you're here as a consumer, you're here for the wrong reason. But if you gather around this table to recognize who God is, then you're here for the right reason. You follow? I love what it says in verse 2 where it says, When they offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds indeed poured water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, caravans ceased and travelers kept the byways. The peasantry prospered in Israel. They grew fat on plunder. Because you arose, Deborah, aroused as a mother in Israel. Do you hear how important her leadership is to the Israelites? Our our class over here was talking about being blessed by God. You don't have to wait to, to sing that. Count your blessings, name them one by one to recognize your blessing. And I think it was Michelle that mentioned we should journal. This is a journal for Deborah and Barak, right, as they're recognizing, or for the Israelites, as they're recognizing the faithfulness of God. Do you hear that? And notice what it says about Deborah. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, caravans ceased and travelers kept to the byways. Look how good God is. The peasantry prospered in Israel. They grew fat on plunder because you arose, O leader, Deborah. You arose, O leader, elder. You arose, O shepherd. You arose as a mother in Israel. When the new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? No, they had become idolatrous, right? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord, it says. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, that means royalty, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the triumphs of the Lord. Notice, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. He's the one that gives victory. There they repeat the triumphs of the Lord, the triumphs of His peasantry in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. And verse 12 finally, Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Utter us a song leader. Arise, Barak, and lead away your captives, O son of Noam. I think it's important that we understand the context here. The Israelites, if you remember back in chapter 4, were being called on the carpet, so to speak, because of their idolatry. They had forgotten their first love. Some of you are going through Revelation now. You'll get to the church in Ephesus where you've forgotten your first love, therefore God's going to judge. There's a time where uh, people think that just because you love God today means you're always going to love God. Um, but that's not true throughout Scripture. It's not true for the Israelites. It's not true with the church in Ephesus and Revelation, right? They have lost their first love. And notice what God does. God says, well, have at it, right? If you want to worship idols, see how far that gets you, right? And we're not just talking about things of stone. We're not just talking about things of wood. We're talking about material possessions. We're talking about things that are created rather than the one true creator. That's why you need good leaders. You need people that will tell you the truth whether you want to hear the truth or not. One more time. You need people to tell you the truth whether you want to hear the truth or not. And I can guarantee you that the world's not going to tell you the truth. You know, it's pretty popular these days um, that people live by feelings. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, man, it's a dangerous thing when you live by feelings. Because feelings will lie to you all day long, right? So be careful if you are an emotional person and you're living by feelings. You need to hear the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, right? People will walk out sometimes and they'll say, Preacher, you stepped all over my toes today. And I said, yeah, I didn't step any on your toes at all, right? I have nobody in mind when I write sermons. I I think God may have some people in mind. You hear the difference? And first and foremost, I can promise you every Sunday... Every time I get the opportunity to speak, God preaches to me before he preaches to you. Do you follow what I'm saying? You need somebody to lead you. You need somebody to speak the truth to you. And sometimes people don't want to lead in the local church because, um, well, not any of us are confrontational. We don't like confrontation. Remember what Paul tells Timothy, there's going to come a point in time where the only thing that people want are for their ears to be tickled. Remember that? Yeah, that's what it says. Okay, Check me on that. That's what it says. He says there's going to come a point in time where people no longer want the truth. They just want the warm fuzzies. We'll, we'll get together. We'll sing a few songs. We'll put some money in the offering plate, and we'll go about our business. And we'll expect God, because he's a gracious God, to show up and save us from hell and get us into heaven. That is not scriptural. Remember what it says, obey and submit. Why? Because they're anointed by God. And also because these guys need to be bold enough. I need to be bold enough. I'm firmly convinced of this if you can't tell. I need to be bold enough to tell you the truth because I don't want you to live outside the presence of God. I'm an example. I mean, anybody that's preached before will tell you the first thing you have to deal with when you get up and teach or preach is yourself, right? I mean, if this is not a humbling thing, I don't know what is. Right. What gives me the right to get up and tell you you're wrong? What gives an elder the responsibility to show up to your door one day and say, you're living in sin, stop it. Th- that happens over and over throughout Scripture, right? Corinthians, anybody? Expel the immoral brother? That seems pretty harsh, Paul. That's what he says, expel the immoral brother. Why? Because the guy's unrepentant. He's not going to change his ways. He's not interested in the truth anymore. Do you follow what I'm saying, Right? You need leaders that will tell you the truth even though it may hurt your feelings for a time because one day there's going to come a judgment and you want your soul to be saved on the day of judgment. Do you follow what I'm saying? That should be your motivation. Not that you have the warm fuzzies each and every day. So Jeremiah chapter 1, my favorite prophet. Jeremiah chapter 1. Write this down if you're taking notes, look at it later, I'm going to read pretty quickly. Beginning in verse 14, the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because they're idolatrous, just like they were back in Judges. For now I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they shall come and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its surrounding walls and against all the cities of Judah. In other words, they're going to be judged because of their idolatry." And I will utter my judgments against them for all their wickedness and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods. They worship the works of their own hands. But you, but you elder, but you preacher, but you Christian, don't bury your head in the sand anymore and act like everything's okay when it's not okay. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, he says, sometimes there's a time to be silent and sometimes there's a time to speak. And we should stop blaming other people and say, you know, it's the preacher's fault, it's the elder's fault. No, wherever you go, you're supposed to be a priest, you're supposed to be a mediator, you're supposed to be someone who speaks truth into a world that's broken, a world that's struggling, a world that's filthy, a world that's filled with sin. You are supposed to be the light in a dark world. In a sense, you are a prophet. You are the mouthpiece of God. Well, I could never. Yes, you can. You've got the Holy Spirit living in your life. And if you've got the Holy Spirit living in your life, you speak truth to things that are untrue. Is that pretty bold? I think it's true. But you, he says, verse 17. Get this, right? But you, gird up your loins. Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Don't break down before them or I will break you before them. Do you hear how serious this is? when God gives you the opportunity to speak up, we're not talking about condescending. We're not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. That's not what Jesus did, and I don't think that's what He calls us to do. But when you're in a situation that you know the Holy Spirit has told you, this is wrong, I should not be here. This is wrong, I should say something. When the Holy Spirit connects your path with somebody else that needs to hear the truth, And you're praying, oh, God, send somebody that... Send the preacher. Send an elder. Well, guess what? He sent you. He sent you. Finally, in Judges chapter 5, verse 12, I love what it says. Again, this song for the Israelites. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak. How many times in Scripture are we told things about People are asleep. People are in a stupor. People are kind of, uh, what's the phrase? They're out of it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're kind of immune. They're kind of callous. You guys know that kind of verbiage? That, happens, that occurs throughout Scripture, right? You know why? Because that's our default mode. If Satan, if the enemy can distract you and lessen your passion about God just a bit, you hear what happens? If you be, if you become callous to truth just a bit, if, if you wring your hands and say, well, I don't know, that, that wouldn't fly back in the 50s or 60s. Um, but we're going to do just like, you understand what I'm saying, right? But if you really believe that truth is truth, that it never changes. Truth is not variable, right? I mean, it doesn't sound variable to me, variable to me when Jesus says, I am the way. I am the, I am the, Keep going. No one comes to the Father except through me. That seems pretty black and white to me. There is no except at the end of the verse. Truth is truth. Right? So it's not variable. And yet we become callous. We become immune. We become in a stupor. And chances are, as Scripture says, we kind of fall asleep to the things that God wants us to see. And so the song says, Awake! Awake, remember who you are. You guys know the story of Lazarus, right? Um, Lazarus, the New Testament, book of John. Um, Lazarus, the good friend of Jesus, brother of Mary and Martha. You guys know that story, right? Did you realize that story is not just about Mary and Martha? I mean, it is about Mary and Martha. We see, we see things that Jesus teaches Mary and Martha throughout that text. It's also about the people that are outside wailing at the tomb, right? I mean, they're, they're called on their faith. Professional mourners, can you imagine that job? Gosh. It's also about Lazarus. It's also about you and I. And you know what? Lazarus was dead. They wrapped him up like a mummy. Remember that? And when Jesus says something, Lazarus, or he tells you, Mickey, wake up. Or the Israelites say, leader, wake up. Wake up. Look what God has done. Why, why, would, we, why would we lack faith? Look, look at what God has done. Wake up. You've got to shake somebody sometimes out of their stupor, right? When I take Benadryl, I'm kind of like in a haze till about 11 o'clock in the morning. right? I need somebody to come by every once in a while and go, hey, wake up. But you hear what I'm saying? Come out of the tomb and Lazarus comes out and what does Jesus say? Come on, somebody. What does he say? Take off the clothes from the grave. Let this man go. Why would he be wrapped up like a dead man? He is no longer dead. The text is not just about Mary and Martha or the people who are weeping at the tomb. It's also about Lazarus. It's also about you. Hear me. You are Lazarus. You hear that? And just like they sing to Deborah, just like Deborah and Barak sing, we have to remind each other over and over and over again every time we gather around this table, wake up! Wake up! Look what God is doing! Look what God has done! Look what we've been promised that God will do! But many of us continue to remain in a fog, in a stupor. Because I can call you over and over and over again, but that's not going to do you a bit of good, is it? It's only when the Holy Spirit calls you that you come out of the tomb, that you take off the grave clothes, and that you live, right? And then you can go share with the world about what God wants to do. I love the story of Deborah. Woman, leader in Israelite in, in the Israelite nation, right? Discernment that flies in the face of some of you that are really conservative, really, I'm not going to use that word because that might be condescending, stuck in your ways. I want you to see the discernment um, that God uses through Deborah, right? And he has that in mind for some of you as well. Let's pray. Father, for your word, uh, for the challenge before us, God, help us to, uh, first of all, recognize the blessings that we have God help us to recognize the leader the leaders that you place before us God you you promised you promised Peter you promised the disciples you promised us that the gates of Hades will never overcome the church Um, I believe that and I also believe that's true God that you'll provide leaders not just leaders in in name not just a title but servant leaders that he's exemplified in Philippians 2, where Glenn read the greatest leader of all, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became a servant. remind us God of, uh, to pray about our leaders, remind us to pray about um, direction and wisdom and remind each of them, God, um, the responsibility they have to over, oversee uh, souls that you placed in our our hands. Um, That's a huge responsibility. We can't do it on our own, but thankfully we don't have to. God, for all of us, as you call us to uh, different places, uh, dark world, help us to be the light. Sometimes it's to say something, sometimes it's not to say anything, sometimes it's to give a hug. Um, Help us to be discerning and help us to be willing to do what you called us to do there's someone here today who is still in the grave, I pray that today is the day of salvation. And for those of us who become callous, uh, those of us who become immune, um, for those of us who become in a stupor or in a fog, I ask God that you would make us awake, awake in Christ's name.